have a Bible, that's okay. Someone next to you might you can share, or if not, I'll just read it out so you can hear it. John chapter 1. In a second, we're going to read a few verses there. So the other day, I was dropping off my kids at school. I had just dropped them off, and I was driving away, and I was at a stoplight just down the street from the school. And, you know, I love Christmas music, so I was playing Christmas music over in my car, and I looked over at the lady next to me, and she and I, she didn't look at me, but I was looking at her, and she and I were singing the exact same song. I mean, evidently, we were listening to the same radio station, and here we are singing the same Christmas song, and I just got laughing about that, thinking... What other time of the year do you pull up next to a perfect stranger, look over, and you're singing the exact same song? Uh, now, Christmas is unique for many reasons, but, but one of the reasons it's unique is how many people like Christmas music. I mean, I'm just curious, how many of you love Christmas music? You've been listening to it at home, you listen to it in the car, you have it on your phone. Most people do. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Most people do love Christmas music, but I think Christmas is also unique because it's probably one of the only times of the year when non-Christian people sing Christian music. And most non-Christian people know Christian Christmas music. I mean, it's, it's always interesting to me that um, if you go to like uh, any type of place where there's any kind of caroling going, uh, if you've ever seen one of those videos on, videos on YouTube where someone will start singing in the middle of a mall, uh, it's amazing how many people know the, at least the first verse to songs like Hark the Herald Angels Sing or what we just sang, O Come All Ye Faithful, or Joy to the World, and on and on we could go. Certainly Silent Night and Away in a Manger. That most people, even if they don't attend church, if they're not Christians, or they don't read the Bible, they're not followers of Jesus, they still know a number of songs that are based in, in Christian truth. But one of the problems is, is that most of the people who sing those songs, just view them as either a cute story around Christmas or as a, as a tradition, either a tradition that's a part of church tradition, or some may view it as just Christmas tradition. And so you sing those songs like you sing any other Christmas song because it's a part of tradition. Um, but most people that sing those songs, they don't really believe the words to the song. You know, they may sing Away in a Manger, or The First Noel, or Hark the Herald Angels Sing, or O Little Town of Bethlehem, and it's tradition, but if you get right down to it, they probably don't really believe the words that they're singing. To them, it's, it's probably a, a song about Jesus who was born in a manger, and it's a story that makes them feel nostalgic, and makes them feel warm, makes them feel fuzzy on the inside. Now, let me ask you this, have you ever wondered why the average person or, or even the average uh, professional singer or musician, have you ever wondered why the average person or professional musician or the average radio station, why they don't mind singing or playing songs about the birth of Jesus, but they don't play songs or record songs um, that have to do with the cross of Jesus or the resurrection? For instance, I guarantee you... Um, on Good Friday or on Easter Sunday, when I pull up next to the stoplight and look over, me and the person are probably not going to be singing the same song, right? 
It's only around Christmas that, that, that you have that uniqueness. So when I pull up to the stoplight on Good Friday or Easter Sunday, I'm, I'm probably not going to be singing the same song as the car next to me. Now, now why is that? You know, the, one of the reasons, and I'm sure there are many, but, but one of the reasons is there's, there's something that is very non-threatening about an innocent baby laying in a manger. There's something about that that is so innocent, something about that that's so non-threatening that, that anyone feels comfortable singing that. But, but what I want us to talk about today is that Christmas is about more than a baby. And certainly Christmas deals with a baby. It deals with baby Jesus. But Christmas is about much more than a baby. And, and we find that in John chapter 1. If you're able to stand, let's stand together. And at Living Hope, we like to stand when we read the Bible because at Living Hope, we believe that the Bible is God's spoken word to us. That when we read or when we hear the Bible, that we're reading or hearing the very words of God, the voice of God. And so God is speaking to us. He's speaking to us through his apostle John. And beginning in chapter 1, verse 1, the word says this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He, that is John, John the Baptist, he was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, talking about the word or the light. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me. For he was before me. And of his fullness have, we all, have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this service so far. Thank you for the hard work that was put into the, the play and how you spoke to each of us through it and communicated to us the story of Christmas. I pray that you'll now speak to us from your word as we talk about how that Christmas means more than a baby. Help us to understand who this one is that we're reading about in John chapter 1 and who the baby laying in the manger in the Christmas story really is. Speak to us about the Lord Jesus Christ today. And for that, 
will give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So what I want to speak to you today about for just a few minutes is that Jesus Christ is more than a baby. He is the Lord of all creation. That Jesus is more than a baby. Jesus is Lord. And I want us to see what the scripture reveals to us here about how that Jesus is Lord. In fact, there are four things that we read in John chapter 1 that, that tell us about the lordship of Jesus, about this baby laying in the manger, about who he really is as Lord. So what are those four details that are revealed about Jesus that tell us that he is more than a baby, that he's Lord? Number one, Jesus is eternal from what we read in John chapter 1. Now, the Bible says in John 1, in fact, John 1 begins the exact same way that Genesis 1 starts. Genesis 1 starts with three words, in the beginning. And John 1 starts with three words, in the beginning. In fact, it says that twice. It talks about in the beginning was the word. And then in verse 2, it says the same was in the beginning with God. When we put that together with what the rest of Scripture teaches, what we find is that Jesus never had a beginning. That Jesus was in the beginning. The word, Jesus, he was in the beginning meaning that he had no beginning. You know, one of the, the passages I like in the Bible is in Hebrews chapter 7. And we're introduced to this strange man whose name is Melchizedek. And Melchizedek served a very important purpose in the Bible. He's kind of a picture of Jesus. And Jesus is described in Hebrews 7, 3 as having neither beginning of days nor end of life. Think about that phrase. Jesus has neither beginning of days nor end of life. And if I could communicate one thing to you about this point here, it's this, that Bethlehem was not the beginning of Jesus. Bethlehem was the beginning of Jesus' mission on earth. But according to the Bible, Jesus was in the beginning. He has always existed. He is the eternal Lord. Now, if you think this is an obscure teaching that's not taught through the Bible, I assure you it's taught consistently. In fact, I'm not going to have you turn there, but you could if you'd like. In John chapter 8, there was a group of Pharisees, and Pharisees were religious teachers of, of the Jewish religion, of Judaism. And the Pharisees got so angry at Jesus, that he, some, some of the things that he was saying in John chapter 8, they were so angry that they picked up stones, and they were ready to stone him on the spot. Now, what would make them so angry that they would want to stone him immediately on the spot? Well, this is what happened. Jesus was speaking to them, and he told them, he said, Abraham saw my day coming, and he longed for my day coming. Now, what we need to understand about this story right now is that Abraham lived centuries before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Abraham lived centuries before Jesus did miracles in Nazareth and in Galilee. And so it would be, it would be far, it'd be far more extreme than me saying something like this to you. You know, George Washington saw the day that I would be born, and he was looking forward to the day that, that Daniel Mann would be born. You would look at me and think, You're crazy. George Washington lived over 200 years ago. And you think that somehow he saw your day and was looking forward to your day? Now Abraham didn't just live a couple hundred years, several thousand years before Jesus was born. 
And he says, Abraham saw my day coming, and he was longing or rejoicing for my day coming. And so here they are, and they said this. They said, you're not even 50 years old yet, and yet you think you've seen Abraham? And this is what Jesus said that made them want to stone him. He said, before Abraham was, I am. He said, before Abraham was, I am. Verse 59, then took they up stones to cast at him. But Jesus himself hid him and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. You know why they were so angry? They were angry because they understood what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, I existed long before Abraham did, who lived centuries ago. Jesus was claiming to be more than a baby, more than a common man. One of those things that Jesus was saying is, I've existed prior to Abraham. You know, Revelation 1.8 tells us that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. Alpha is the, the first letter of the Greek language, and Omega is the last letter. It's like us saying that Jesus is the A to Z. He's the beginning and the ending. He said, I am he which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. This is the very words that Jesus spoke. So at Christmas, we can become very sentimental, and if we're not careful... We can forget that, that that innocent baby in the manger is also the Lord of everything. The Lord with no beginning of days, no end of days. In fact, um, one of my favorite Christmas songs that we've been singing a lot around here at Living Hope is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And by the way, the song's not about an angel. The song is about Jesus and what the angel said. And Charles Wesley wrote the song, and in the second verse, he said, Christ by highest heaven adored Christ the everlasting Lord. That's what the song is about. So Jesus is the only one who ever existed prior. Think about this. Look right here for just a second. Jesus is the only one who ever existed prior to the mother who gave birth to him. We believe what the Bible teaches, and by the way, I do, that Jesus is the only one who existed prior to the, the mother who gave birth birth to him and the father who raised him in Nazareth. And so what we need to do at Christmas time is we need to stop and just be amazed and wonder and marvel that, that this one in the manger is more than a baby. He, he is the Lord, eternal Lord of all. Number two, not only Jesus is eternal, according to what we read in John 1, Jesus, number two, is equal with the father. In every way, it says in, 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 in verse one, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God with God. Verse 2 says the same was in the beginning, with God. And the phrase with God literally means, gives the idea of face to face with God, carrying the idea of equality, of being face to face with God. As you continue through John 1, as we read it, you read the words full and fullness that we have received of his fullness, that Jesus is full of grace and truth, and that points to his fullness as God, that Jesus is fully God in every way that the Father is God. Colossians 1.19 says that it, for it pleased the Father that in him or in Jesus should all fullness dwell. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You know, there's another time in the Gospel of John when the religious leaders wanted to kill Jesus. This time it's in John chapter 5. 
And in this time, they wanted to kill Jesus. They were so angry. But this time, Jesus wasn't talking about Abraham. He was talking about his father in heaven. And Jesus was saying that I and my father are one. And he kept referring to himself as the son of God. God being his father, he being one with the father, he having this unique relationship with the father, and him being the son. And in John chapter 5, verse 18, notice what it says. I think it's on the screen. Therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father. Notice, making himself equal with God. They did understand what Jesus was saying. They weren't misunderstanding him. They weren't angry misunderstanding what Jesus was saying. They were angry because they understood what Jesus was saying. He was claiming equality with the Father. That he is my Father, I am his Son, and we are one. This is taught all through the Bible. In fact, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 7, tells us that we need to let the same mind be in us that was in Christ Jesus. And it goes on to say that who being in the form of God, thought it, it's talking about the form is the idea of the same nature as God. That in the form of God, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Now what does that mean? It simply means this, that though Jesus is in the exact image of the Father, possessing equality in the same nature with God the Father, but yet still he willingly lowered himself to take upon humanity to become a man and to become like one of us to suffer that we might be saved and redeemed. But the idea I want to point you to is the fact that the scripture teaches that Jesus is not less of God than the Father, but that he is full, equal deity with the Father. You know, there are so many names and titles that are attributed to Jesus. One of my favorite is one that we think about a lot this time of year, and it's the word Emmanuel. It's the title or the name Emmanuel, and that word means God with us. Think for a moment, I mean, how incredible it is that the all-powerful God would willingly choose to become a helpless baby. I don't know if you've heard the, the Christmas, popular Christmas song, Mary, Did You Know? It's written by a man named Mark Lowry. And, and one of the phrases in that song is talking about a question asking Mary. It says, Mary, did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? And when you kiss your little baby, you've kissed the face of God. When you've kissed your little baby, you've kissed the face of God. That's what John 1 tells us. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. He is equal with the Father. So Jesus is more than a baby. He is the Lord of all. He's eternal. He's equal with the Father. Number three, Jesus is the creator of all things. He's more than a baby. He's the creator of all things. That's what verse three says. All things were made by him. And then for redundancy's sake, he basically repeats the same thing. And without him, was not anything made that was made. That, that, that's, that's given for emphasis, and it, it means this, that literally everything, every single thing was created or made by Jesus and that nothing exists apart from him. That he is not a creature, he is the creator. He was not made, he's the maker. 
All things were made by him. Without, in, without him was not anything made that was made. And then the same theme continues. In John 1.10, it tells us that this creator who made all things, he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. The ones that he made, he came to be among them. They didn't realize it. They knew him not. I love, I keep coming back to Colossians because so much of what Colossians says parallels what John says. But in Colossians 1.16 and 17, talks about Jesus and it says, for by him were all things created, things that are in heaven, the stars, the planets, the universe, things that are in the earth, visible and invisible, things like energy, things like air. These were things created by him, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities and powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things and by him all things consist. That's the idea that not only did he create it, but he holds it together. They all consist by him. Consider for a second that Jesus brought into existence the wood that was used for the manger he was laid in. And he brought into existence the swaddling clothes that were used to wrap his little baby body in. That he created the parents who would care for him. He created Herod, who would try to kill him, as Matthew chapter 3 tells us about, and chapter 2 tells us about. That he created the air that he would breathe as a man, the water he would drink as a man, and the food that he would eat as a man. He created these things. All things were made by him. See, Christmas is about more than a baby. Christmas is about the Lord who's eternal, who's always been, no beginning of days nor end of days. And the, the, Jesus is more than a baby. He's equal with the Father. He has been always with the Father. And this one laying in the manger is the Lord because he is creator of all the universe. It's about the creator of the universe dwelling among his creation in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And then last of all, not only is Jesus eternal, equal with the Father, creator of all things, finally, Jesus is the source of life. John chapter 1 verse 4, it says, In him was life. And that means that life finds its source in Jesus. Life comes from him. I love what John 5, 26 says. This is one of the things that made the Pharisees mad that wanted to kill him. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, uh, there's a theologian whose name is John Stallings. He wrote this. It's on the screen. Hopefully you can read it because it's kind of small letters, but I'll read it out if you can't read that. Not only is Christ the source of the universe, that is, he's the creator of all things, but also he's the creator of that animating force which energizes it, life. And there are at least three senses in which life inheres or finds its source in Christ. Number one is physical life. It comes from Jesus. Abundant life comes from Jesus. That's what he said in John 10, that he came that we might have not just existence, but abundant life, a life actually worth living, a life where you don't dread waking up every day, but a life that is joyful. But then most of all, he came to bring eternal life in John chapter 11, verse 25, that he's the, the source of physical life, 
abundant life, and eternal life. In John 4, 6, excuse me, John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by me. And I just read this this morning in John eleven twenty five 25, and 26, when Jesus spoke to two sisters who had just lost their brother to death, whose name was Lazarus. They, Jesus said to them, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he was dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Then he asked them, do you believe this or believest thou this? And then he went on to raise up their brother from the dead. And the reason he raised, I, I thought about this. You know, why did Jesus raise Mary and Martha's brother from the dead? But then if, if my sibling or if my father or my mother or someone that I love, why doesn't Jesus raise them up right that moment from the dead? The Bible tells us Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, physically brought him back to life to prove to all of us that what Jesus says is true, that we can trust him. And what Jesus was promising Mary and Martha and even Lazarus was far more than just physical life being restored. He was promising them eternal life, life beyond the grave, life forever in the kingdom of God. So Jesus is the source of life. In Acts 3.15, he's called the prince or the author. The word prince in, in, the, in New Testament Greek means author, that he's the author of life. Wow, what, what, a, what a thing to think about. That, that, that Jesus, think about this, that Jesus would give life to the woman that he would use to give human life to him. That Mary owed her existence to Jesus. He's the one that gave her life. And yet he would use her to be the one that would give him human life into this world. There's never been a person like Jesus. Mary was used by Jesus in the giving of physical life to him. But he was not only the source of her physical life, but he would soon become the source of her eternal life. That Mary would have to look to her own son for life, and not just physical life, but she would have to look to the one that she gave birth to as the source of her eternal life. That if she was going to live beyond this life, she would have to put her trust in the one that she brought into the world. And by the way, she understood that better than anyone else, if you read Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. Mary was not a, uh, in the sense of a sinless person. Mary understood herself as a sinner, one that needed to be redeemed and forgiven. So Jesus gave to her physical life, and he gave to her eternal life. And every person in this room has physical life, but does every person in this room have eternal life? You know, there's one thing to exist and have breath in your lungs and blood flowing through your veins and your heart beating. That's physical life. But it's a far different thing to have abundant life that comes through Jesus. And it's a far another thing to have eternal life. Something that once the physical heart stops beating and once you stop breathing, where you'll experience what Jesus said in John 11, where you'll live with him forever and never eternally die. Physical life is, is far less valuable than eternal life because physical life is temporary. Physical life is fragile. But Jesus is the source of both physical and eternal life. 
And without him, we'll not only face physical death, but, but we'll face eternal death without Jesus. Without Jesus as the source, we'll, we'll not only die physically, but we will die eternally, separate from him. So Christmas is about more than a baby. It's about the Lord of life coming to the world as a man in order to give them eternal life. But I want to finish with this. You know, I was thinking this week that we'd be having our, our Christmas play and uh, over 150 years ago, there was another church getting together, preparing for a Christmas play and a Christmas music. And there's a lady, um, her name is Emily Elliott, and she was working on a song. She was a songwriter, musician. She was working on a song that she wanted to teach uh, the kids' choir at her church to help them learn the Christmas story. You know what I find so fascinating about the song? You know, we keep talking about how mankind is progressing and how we're getting smarter. And in many ways, that's true because 150 years ago, they'd have no idea how to work a computer. They'd look at this thing and probably uh, pass out knowing what all it can do. Uh, if you try to get someone 150 years ago on an airplane, they'd probably never do it. So we've advanced in technology in so many ways, and so many things have advanced. Uh, but it's amazing to me that, that the song that she wrote on a child's level in 1864 would probably be viewed uh, by some of the most educated of our current society as a difficult song to sing uh, as far as the words go and comprehension of that goes. And in fact, I'll prove that to you in just a second. But so what, what, what she wrote on a child's level originally in 1864 would be viewed by adults today as, as so difficult to understand. And if that's the case, it would be a shame because this is such a, a powerful, phenomenal Christmas song. Listen to the words of the first verse, and then I'll give you the last verse. It's on the screen. It says, Thou didst leave thy throne and thy kingly crown when thou camest to earth for me. But in Bethlehem's home there was found no room for thy holy nativity. O come to my heart, Lord Jesus there is room in my heart for thee. The last verse says, When the heaven's arches shall ring and its choirs shall sing at thy coming to victory, let thy voice call me home, saying, Yes, there is room. There is room at my side for thee. And my heart shall rejoice, O Jesus, when thou comest and callest for me. The idea that I love is that you have, she said, thou didst leave thy throne and thy kingly crown when thou camest to earth for me. And she wrote that for children. So that children would understand that the baby at Christmas that we celebrate is far more than a baby. That he is Lord eternal. He is Lord equal with the Father. He is Lord creator. And he is Lord who is the source of life. My question for you and I as we finish today is have you, as John chapter 10 says, have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead? Because John, or excuse me, Romans 10, 9 spells out clearly how you and I can have eternal life. It begins by us confessing with our mouth that we believe that Jesus is Lord and that we believe that God raised him from the dead. And then Romans 10, 13 says that whosoever shall call upon his name shall be saved. There have been billions of babies born in this world since the beginning of time. 
Some of those babies, in fact, being born this morning and even right now, are being born in comfortable hospitals all across this country and perhaps across the world. Some of those babies born are born in poor villages without even electricity. And this has been going on since the beginning of time. Billions of babies born, but there's only been one baby born that can save, that can forgive, that can heal the heart, and that can give what your soul and my soul longs for the most. There's only been one baby that can do that. And that baby is Jesus. And he's more than a baby. He's the Lord of all. If you committed your life to Jesus Christ or made a spiritual decision, we would like to rejoice with you. Please connect with us on our website, livinghopechicago.com. We hope you'll join us next time for another encouraging message from God's Word.